Well, good morning, Mountain View Church. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, it really is. I enjoyed my time with the men uh, a lot. I want to thank Justin for this opportunity. I want to thank uh, all the elders and really everyone here at the church for coming on board and becoming partners with uh, FCA this year. Very excited and thankful for that. I also want to say I'm just thankful for Justin as a friend. Justin, over the last couple of years, has become one of my best friends in the whole wide world. I don't have a lot of friends in Greenland or Asia or you know other places, but uh, if I did, uh, I still think I could say he's one of my best friends. Um, and so I uh, really appreciate him. You have, a, I know, a good leader and who's passionate about every one of your, your love for God and your worship of him and, and just your joy. So um, just glad to stand in for him today. Justin told me about three weeks ago um, that you guys are really have a theme called uh, We Are Kingdom People. We Are Kingdom People. And I love that. And I want to just start off right out the top and assure you of something. God is building His kingdom. He's building His kingdom in a way that we would not expect. But make no mistake about it. That when his kingdom comes to full fruition, it will be an exquisitely beautiful, amazingly expansive, magnificent kingdom in which perfection will be the standard. Nothing imperfect will exist. And I just want you to get a glimpse for a moment. Could we just get a glimpse of the final and ultimate fruition of the kingdom, whereby the Lamb of God will be in the center and people, myriads and myriads from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, gathered around the throne, singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and praise and blessing and strength. And in that moment, There will be no darkness, only light. No sin, only obedience. No frustration, only worship. No difficulty, but only pleasure and satisfaction all of the time. Can you get a glimpse of that? Can you you not only sense it, but can you anticipate the beauty and the glory of that? That's where we're headed. But that's then. And this is now. And there is brokenness and difficulty and conflict and hardship and love and toiling and confusion and head scratching with what in the world is going on here. But make no mistake about it. In the midst of this difficulty and hardship and conflict and confusion, God is building His kingdom. He's building His kingdom certainly in other continents and other places like Greenland or Asia. But He's building His kingdom right here among the people of Mountain View Church. And so when we think about being kingdom people, kingdom people, we, we want to ask the question, 
If we believe that God is building his kingdom and we believe that we're part of that kingdom people, then how do kingdom people live? How do kingdom people live, especially in a broken world? I want to answer that question today. And I want us to do it together from the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, we're going to be examining verses 42 through 47 today. And my job is to answer the question, how should kingdom people partner for the gospel in the midst of our brokenness? And we're going to do that from Acts. And in Acts, we need to realize that Acts is a descriptive book, not a prescriptive book. It's descriptive, describing the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of kingdom people. It's not prescribing exactly this is what you absolutely should do because this is a unique time and a unique place in history for sure. But let me tell you, while it's descriptive and not prescriptive, it is definitely instructive. You see, 1 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and that it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And so we want to come to Acts this morning and be instructed. We, we want to be helped. And that's what we're going to do. Let's get a running start real quick. And what we need to realize is that, is that the, the leaders of the church in Acts have been commissioned. Okay, they, all authority has been given to, to me to give to you, Jesus says. And this is what he says to them in 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the utter ends of the earth. The head of the church is then exalted. Jesus Christ has been exalted. And, and all of the disciples watch him as that cloud of glory receives him in the air. And the angels remind them that he's going to return in the same way that, that he just exited. So the leaders of the church are commissioned. The head of the church has been exalted. The power of the church has arrived in chapter 2. If you look at the very beginning of Acts chapter 2, you see that when the day of Pentecost came, and they're up in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes up tongues of fire and fills them with His power, that resurrection power the followers of Jesus, Jesus now possess. And so the, the preachers of the church have now preach the message of the gospel. They have brought the message that Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He's risen from the dead. And if you repent of your sins and be baptized, then you will be saved. And so that's exactly what's happened because the members of the church have joined and they're all together. And there are 3,000 plus the disciples who already follow Jesus, who are meeting together. And that gets us right to verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. And Dr. Luke says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad 
and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we're asking the question, how do kingdom people live? How do kingdom people partner for the gospel in a broken world? And this is what we find is that kingdom people have five commonalities. Five commonalities that we see that they possessed in Acts chapter 2 that we ourselves need to possess if we're going to be central in the building of the kingdom of God right here, right now. The first thing that they have is a common resolve. A common resolve. It says they devoted themselves. Devoted. Devoted. That word is critical. Like they had this collective resolution to persevere and persist in the central activities of the kingdom. They weren't half in and half out. They weren't sitting on the fence. They were all in. They had a common resolve. This, this word resolve. Well, what does it mean to have resolve? If you've ever read Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions. What you, what you realize is that as a 19-year-old young man, as he writes these resolutions to live for the glory of God, and, and he resolved to read them every single week of his life until he dies so that he could be fresh on his mind, you realize that he had a spirit-led determination to live a disciplined gospel life for the glory of God. A spirit-led determination to live a disciplined gospel life. And that's what these people had. They, they devoted themselves. They're led by the Holy Spirit. And they're, discernment, they're determined to live out their gospel pro proclamation. They're not going to say with their lips one thing and live with their life Monday through Saturday another thing. They're going to say, the gospel is central to my life. Christ is Lord of my life. I'm going to connect myself to people who also feel the same way. And we're going to walk this thing out together. They had a common resolve to do that. Now, there is a difference between involvement and commitment. Y'all had a great breakfast this morning. I got here a little too late to partake in it, but I, I saw some really uh, good-looking items up on the counter. Now, but I want to I tell you this, that if you had eggs and bacon, okay, we see firsthand the difference between involvement and commitment, right? So, you know, we've got the eggs where the chicken was involved in that process, but the pig was absolutely committed to the process, right? And so you see the difference between involvement, commitment. It's a, uh, it's a difference between total, total sacrifice. And this is what they had. They had commitment. They had resolve. Now, we have to ask the question, Okay, they're resolved. They're committed. They're devoted. What are they devoted to? Look down at your passage. We really see the, the fabric of their resolve. What are they resolved to? The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. And so if you're taking notes, I would love for you to just write down like this statement. They were resolved to learn the word of God. 
They were resolved to learn the word of God. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And they, they were wanting to learn. What I find so interesting, so very interesting to me, is that if you ever had a church who would want to base its existence and its, and its primary activity on experience, on worship as experience, it would be this church that they have just listened to the apostles like preach in all of these different languages supernaturally. They have just been a part of the tongues of fire coming down and the whirlwind and this amazing experience where 3,000 people come to Christ. I mean, this was an amazing experience. And said, so what do they do? Do they yearn for those tongues of fire again? Do they yearn for the rushing wind to come upon them again? Do they yearn for some type of amazing experience? No, they yearn for the Word of God to be taught and to go down deep into their hearts that they can know their God better. I want to tell you something, church. I want to tell you something. If you don't get anything else, get this. You will only go higher in your worship of God when you go deeper in your knowledge of God. That's right. They were committed to that. They were also committed not only to learn the Word of God, they were committed to partner with the people of God. Look at that word, fellowship. And it's not just fellowship, it's the fellowship. Koinonia. Well, what does that word mean, fellowship? Christians use the word fellowship. You know, the world doesn't use that word as much. What does it mean? It, it means partnering with one another in gospel love. It's an enthusiasm that believers have for one another where they love and care for one another. They want to spend time together and sharpen one another. They pray for one another, serve one another, encourage one another, enjoy one another. That's what fellowship is. It is this partnership with one another in gospel love. My favorite writer and pastor from the 19th century is J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle. In his book, Holiness, he writes this. The true Christian regards all Christ's friends as his friends. Members of the same body, children of the same family, soldiers of the same army, travelers to the same home. When he meets them, he feels as if he had long known them. He's more at home with them in a few minutes than he is with many worldly people after an acquaintance of several years. And what is the secret of all of this? It is simply affection to the same Savior and allegiance to the same Lord. Have you ever been with somebody for less than an hour and you realize you're so connected to them, way more connected to them than your next door neighbor who you've lived lived next to for 10 years? It's that very reason. You possess the same spirit, the same purpose, the same allegiance. God does that for us. It's a beautiful thing. And, and the Holy Spirit wants us to lean into that, not away from it. They were resolved to partner with the people of God. They were also resolved to remember the Son of God. It says that they were committed, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And what, what does that mean? What is he talking about exactly? Well, he's basically saying they ate meals together and they celebrated communion together. 
They ate meals together and they celebrated communion together often in this, at, the, at the same occasion. And so they cooked and prepared and planned and talked and laughed and ate around the dinner table together. It was a really wonderful thing. And then they remembered the cross together. Once they had done that through the special partaking of the bread, which represented the broken body of Jesus and the wine, which represented the shed blood of Jesus. And they did this regularly. They were remembering the son of God regularly together. And I want to ask you to do this for me. I want to ask you if you would, would you just bow your head for a moment? And I want you to remember the Son of God right now. Let me just help you enter into the remembrance of the Son of God. At the cross, Christ was abandoned so you could be rescued. At the cross, Christ was rejected so you could be received into the kingdom. Christ was forsaken so you could be forgiven of all your sins. He was wounded so you could be healed. He was punished so you could be purchased. He was humiliated so you could be elevated. He was broken down because you would be built up. He was crushed so you could be created a new creation. He was tortured so you could be protected. He was isolated so you could be integrated into his family. He was made sin so you could be made righteous. He was declared guilty so you could be declared innocent. He was all sorrow so you could be all joy. He hung his head so you could lift yours up. Christ died so you could live. You can, you can look up now. You see the, the church, kingdom people, pause on a regular basis to remember the commonality that we have at the cross of Jesus. You see, if we don't have anything else in common, and a lot of us don't, we've got the one thing in common, the cross work of Jesus that binds us all together. They were resolved also to call on the power of God. If you look down at the passage, it says that they were devoted to the prayers. To the prayers. And these were set prayers. 
They were prayers that they prayed that they had gotten from the Old Testament and the Psalms and in other places in the Torah, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But they were also spontaneous prayers where they would gather together and they would they would say, well, what is your need, brother? What, what do you have, sister? Let's, let's go before the king and in, 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 in the kingdom for, for those needs, because we know he's interceding for us right at the right hand of the father. And so they would pray together spontaneously and in set ways because they knew that the king would listen to their requests. This is the number one possession that people who are committed to the king and who walk out their kingdom life. They have common resolve. We can look at the rest now. Second, what do they have? They have a common reverence. A common reverence. Luke says that awe came upon every soul. That word awe. Phobos. It's where we get our English word phobia. Fear. And some of you in this room have various phobias. You, you, you have a, a fear of heights or you, you have a fear of open water or whatever the case may be. But the original, the original use of this word was not so much a phobia. It was, it was actually this reverence, this awe, this, this like, what is going to happen next? I, I, I don't know what it is and it kind of scares me a little bit, but I want to see it and I want to participate in it because it's going to be amazing. It's going to be transcendent. I want to participate in it, however scary it might be. That's what these people had on a regular basis because of the work of the Holy Spirit among them. Uh, my family and I went on a Wild West adventure two years ago. We uh, bought a, an old pop-up camper, hooked it to the, to the back of my Highlander, and we took off here, and we, we were headed out west. We had lived, uh, Jamie and I had lived out in California back in the early 2000s, and, and so uh, we were just camping along and, 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 and driving, and, you know, Tennessee and Kansas and, you know, Arizona and all that, but we were going to terminate the pinnacle point of our trip at Yosemite. Now, imagine us nearing Yosemite. Yosemite National Park sign, 100 miles. Yosemite National Park, 75 miles. The anticipation is building. We're telling about Half Dome and Yosemite Falls and Glacier Point and all of the beautiful wildlife and, and the snow-capped Sierra Nevadas as you overlook it. Yosemite National Park sign, 30 miles. Yosemite National Park, 22 miles. Yosemite National Park, we see the sign up there, 10 miles. And I pull the, the car over. We all get up, get up, get up, get up. And we, and we get our tripod and put our iPhone up here and set it on the timer. We all get a picture and we snap it. Yosemite National Park, 10 miles away. You can see the picture in the background. We're all smiles. Click. We grab the tripod, put it, get the phone, get back in the car. I do a U-turn, and we drive back to Anniston, Alabama. Okay, that is ridiculous. All right? But this is what we do as believers when we lose our way is that the creator is amazing and beautiful and awesome and holy and righteous 
and something to behold. And so he makes his creation and and it's it's wonderful and fun and enjoying and relationships are good and activities are good. Work is good and hobbies are good. And what we do is we take our eyes off of the creator. We put our eyes on the creation and we celebrate the creation. We celebrate the relationships, the money, the job, the activities. And we terminate all of our awe on the things that he's created rather than on him himself. And what this church had is the same thing that you and I need to have is all of him and not them. And not let's go beyond the sign. Let's go 10 miles further and let's worship him. They had it. And look what happened when they had it. Signs, wonders were being done among the apostles. They had a common reverence. It was reverence of the mighty power of God Himself. Third, they had a common regard. A common regard. It says all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's where in your outline I get the word common. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so if you just, we basic Bible study process here, let's just ask the question, what kind of regard? They had a regard for each other's presence. Look, all who believe were together. Man, they prioritized being with each other. They prioritized just hanging out together, growing together, being in relationship together. Let me tell you this. Let me say this. In this church, in the first century, right here, you would not get this. You would not get this kind of thing. Is uh, you know, Sally is at the market with Jane. Sally is a is a believer, and she's part of this church. Jane is a non Christian, maybe the sister of Sally, and all of a sudden, um, Elizabeth comes along, and Elizabeth is just over here getting her fruits and vegetables, and Jane says, "Sally, hey, do you do you know Elizabeth?" I will tell you this, Sally is not going to say, oh yeah, I go to church with her. I go to church with her. You see, it wasn't that kind of relationship. It was, oh yeah, Elizabeth is my sister. We're, we're in the same spiritual family. We share the same Savior. We belong to the same Lord. You see, they, they were together in their presence. They were together in their allegiance. It wasn't this loose affiliation with people who happened to go to the same place once a week. They had regard for each other's lives. They had all things in common. You see, their love for one another and their compassion toward one another was expressed, was expressed by sharing their stuff with each other. So they had a regard for each other's needs. You see that word need at the very end. They would notice a need and they would seek to fill a need because that was exactly what Jesus had done for them. They had the need of a Savior. They had the need of forgiveness of sins. They had a need to be righteous and they couldn't accomplish it on their own. So Jesus came to them and met them at the point of their greatest need. And because that had happened in their life, they wanted to take on the same mindset of Jesus and, and they wanted to meet the needs of the people around them. So, 
I want to say this before we move on. While they had regard for each other's presence, they had regard for each other's lives, they had regard for each other's needs, we can also observe right here, they had no regard for their own stuff. That's mine! No, you, you can't have that. No, I, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to get all I can. I'm going to can all I get. I'm going to sit on the lid so nobody else can have it because I'm the one who's earned it. That's not the mentality they had. They had, God has given to me stuff, gifts, abilities, resources, only to be entrusted by them to distribute them according to the needs of the people around me. That's the mentality of a kingdom people who want to see the king manifested in all of his love and all of his glory in the circle that they run in. They had a common regard. Fourth, they had a common rhythm. A common rhythm. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Notice that they have the rhythm of, of corporate worship. Like they're, back in those days, they, they still had the, the temple right there in Jerusalem. And so they gathered at the temple and, and were able to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so day by day, they're worshiping God together. They've got this rhythm of corporate worship and personal hospitality. It says that, that they were in their homes. They literally hosted one another in their homes and ate meals together and celebrated the Lord's Supper together. They were personally hospitable to one another. And then when they were doing that, they had these grace-filled relationships. Look at those two descriptors right there about their hearts. They had glad and generous hearts. Man, their hearts weren't involved. They were invested. They had joy in Jesus and that joy produced gladness. And, and joy and passion and generosity toward people. And this is the beautiful thing, and I want you to look down at this, because in their joy, in their hospitality, in their corporate worship, it had an effect. And what effect did it have? Winsome adoration. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. Winsome adoration. So they're praising God, they're singing to Him, they're learning about Him, they're breaking bread, they're hanging out together, they're preparing meals together, they're around the table, they're loving God, they're making mistakes, they're still sinning, they're still, they're still having to ask for forgiveness and all of that stuff, but they're authentic. They're authentic in what they do, and they're sacrificial and generous in what they do. And so what happens? People on the outside look on the inside, and they say, I don't have what they have. I want what they have. Can I get a little bit closer to what they have so that it can, might can wear off on me? They win some adoration, and it was a rhythm that they possessed in the way that they lived their life. Number five, they had a common result. A common result. It says the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's just observe maybe two or three things right here on, this, on that statement. Number one, notice that they didn't add to their number. The Lord added to their number. It's not the church's job to add members to the church. It's the Lord's job. That takes off a lot of pressure for people who want to grow the church. It's the Lord's job. 
The second observation that we can make is that their number, their, their quote unquote number wasn't an insignificant matter. Like they actually had a number of church members and the Lord added to that number. Even if you read in the book of Acts from Acts 1 to, to 28, you know, you see the 12, you see the 120, you see the 3,000, you see the 4,000. Like Luke is actually making a record of the number, the number of people who are being grafted into the church. Why? Because every one of those people matters. You're going to get a handout uh, as you leave today. And that's one of the things that we say at FCA is that what's measured is treasured. What's measured is treasured. And so there was a number that they had and the Lord was adding to it and they were celebrating every time someone entered into the kingdom of God. The other observation I would love for us to make is that they didn't host a special event to add to their number. They had a daily walk that served that purpose. They had a daily walk that served that purpose. So they had a common resolve a common reverence, a common regard, a common rhythm, and a common result. So this is what I want to say, and it's not in, in your outline, but if you could write it down at the bottom, I would want to say this. Kingdom people have a common commitment to their uncommon king. Kingdom people have a common commitment to their uncommon king. And if you've got an outline... And, and you, you're willing to ask yourself a few searching questions. That's what I would like to do right now. I want to I ask you this question this morning. How should you partner with other kingdom people for the gospel? How should you partner with other kingdom people for the sake of the gospel? Based on what we've seen in Acts 2, what are some things that, that the Lord would have you lean more into and not resist? What are some things that the Lord would have you cultivate and dig, dig a little deeper into and not just kind of stand back and, and stay passive again in 2020 about? I want to I wanna offer, offer three ways for you. To really partner with kingdom people this year. Alright, so if you want to write this down, feel free and you pray about it. Um, but number one, value the king and his kingdom in your heart. Value the king and his kingdom in your heart. Like Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it comes the wellspring of life. If we're going to guard our hearts, we're going to protect our hearts. What we need to do is we need to, in our hearts, value the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he needs to be priority in our lives in the mornings, during the days and at night. We cannot be kingdom people if we don't value the king in our hearts first. That would be number one. Number two, ask this question. What time, talent and treasure do I have that I can leverage for the gospel? What time, talent, and treasure do I have that I can leverage for the gospel? Like in, in time, like do you have early Sunday mornings that you can somehow serve 
at this location that's going to bless the people of God? Do you have Wednesday evenings that somehow you can serve to bless the people of God? Do you have Saturday nights that somehow you can host another couple or, a, or an individual person or a group of people and be hospitable to them in your home to develop deeper relationships and get deeper into the heart of their lives? Like, Do you have time and can you mark out time to be able to leverage for gospel partnership? Talent. Like, do you sing, write, serve, fix things? Can you, can you repair? Can you, can you um, text people encouraging messages? Can you give? Can you build things? Can you cook things? Can you greet people? Like, identify simple and maybe even complex things that you can do, your talent, and leverage them for the sake of the gospel. But ask yourself that question. Like, this is the thing, is don't get away with leaving today and thinking, wow, Acts 2, 42 to 47 is powerful. And then go eat lunch and just continue on your life and don't challenge yourself to ask this question, what else can I leverage for gospel partnership? Ask yourself that question and let the Lord help you with that. And treasure. What treasure do you have? Do you have money, home, food, toys, games, do you have anything that can be leveraged for the sake of the gospel? And this is what I know. I know that you do, and I know that you are. Like you guys are leveraging a ton for the sake of the gospel. You, you've, you've got missionaries that you support. You've got um, the guy over in Haiti. You've got the community around here. Y'all are being a blessing. Even the socks. I'm so inspired by such simple things that you're doing to help people. That is beautiful. So I really, I think it's more of an affirmation is keep doing what you're doing and pressing into that because that's where kingdom work is really happening, however mere it may be.